In this presentation, we will discuss the issue of a qualifying child of more than one person concerning the child tax credit. This information can be found in the 2018 instruction for Form 1040. Back to the text, qualifying child of more than one person. Even if a child meets the conditions to be a qualifying child of more than one person, only one person can claim the child as a qualifying child for all following tax benefits unless the special rule for children of divorced or separated parents described earlier applies. So we're, going, we're thinking about that rule again, this issue of we have the one child here. What's the case in which we have two people that can claim the qualifying child? In other words, if we have this condition met of the child being a qualifying child for more than one person, and therefore possibly we would think then be able to be reported and get the benefits of that qualifying child for tax purposes on more than one tax return, that's typically not the case. We can only put the qualifying child on one tax return typically and note that there is this exception to the general rule which could apply that we talked about briefly in the prior in a prior presentation in the case of a divorced or separated parents so the general rule then is going to be that if we have a child that can be claimed as a dependent and or a qualifying child for a tax credit then they can typically only be those things on one return and typically we can only have one social security number on one return unless there's some kind of condition some type of special condition that is present now we're going to list the tax benefits that this applies to so number one back to the text child tax credit and credit for other dependents and additional child tax credit that's of course what we're focusing in on here number two head of household filing Note this, this is another kind of benefit of having possibly a child is that you may then, it may help you, a uh, taxpayer to qualify for head of household rather than single filing. And what that's going to do, obviously the child tax credit could be a $2,000 credit. The head of household rather than single filing could allow that taxpayer to then have lower tax brackets and other types of benefits from the uh, not being filing as single but head of household. So then we have number three, credit for child and dependent care expenses. So if there's going to be a credit for dependent care expenses, caretaking, that's another type of benefit that could be there, or at least uh, we can think of it as a reimbursement type of benefit or something like that. If there was payment for child care, then uh, you might be able to get a credit for that. And then number four, exclusion for dependent care benefits. Number five, earned income credit. Uh, so these are another kind of benefits that could could be there from a child. Earned income benefit is another kind of big one that could result in a refund even if no tax is owed and it's heavily influenced by whether or not there's a child involved. So note that when we think about these items with relation to a child being on uh, one tax return or another tax return, when we consider their overall tax benefits, it can be a little bit confusing to think about because, again, the, the earned income credit probably helps some, could help somebody if there's a low income and won't help anybody to have a, a child or no child. It's not going to give any more tax benefit on an earned income credit if their income is high. So if you're talking about two taxpayers who have very different incomes, high versus low, then uh, the, earned in, the, child tax, the child being on one return could have this benefit here whereas the child on the other hand wouldn't, wouldn't have any effect. The same could be too true for a child tax credit. If one income is really high, then they might not benefit at all 
from the child tax credit, whereas the other could. The head of household is kind of the reverse oftentimes because uh, the, if we're making the person, if someone makes more money, if one spouse makes more money than the other, then there's going to be overall tax savings. Probably it's going to be more leaning towards the person who has a head of household type of status because they're going. that means you're going to apply lower rates to more income typically. So note when we consider, well, just from a, just a tax standpoint, nothing else, who would benefit from having a child on a certain tax return, it can get a bit confusing. Of course, if there's multiple children, then it can be, be a little bit confusing as well. So, and note that the typical rule is the general rule is that all these things, you know, if one child is on one tax return, they could qualify one tax return for these things if it benefits or not. And we can't normally have a, a child that could be basically claimed on two tax returns for different type of things. So it's, it's, we couldn't normally say we're going to have the child on one tax return for helping out with head of household because that would be the best tax benefit and on another tax return for with regard to the earned income credit or something like that. That's not normally the case unless there's some kind of unusual circumstance. Normally, we can only have one social security number on one tax return per person if it's a dependent then typically we have one dependent tax return social security number on one of the two returns again unless something kind of unusual is going on back to the text no other person can take any of the five tax benefits just listed based on the qualifying child if you and any other person can claim the child as a qualifying child the following rules apply number one or first rule back to the text if only one of the persons is the child's parent, the child is treated as the qualified child of the parent. So, for example, if you had a situation maybe that uh, the child was a qualifying child for one, for two people, one was a parent and one possibly a grandparent or something like that, then the tiebreaker then would basically go to the parent then. So, they, if they meet all the requirements for a qualifying child for two people, then the question is, well, who is the, who is the, the qualifying child for? or which person then can claim the child as the qualifying child in that case. And it would typically, of course, go to the parent first. That would be kind of like the tiebreaker. Back to the text. If the parents file a joint return together and claim the child as a qualifying child, the child is treated as the child of the parents. So obviously, if you have a qualifying child that is in a, a married uh, two parents and possibly could be a qualifying child or meets all the tests somewhere else, then obviously, the two parents uh, that are filing joint would be the ones that would be claiming or the qualifying child would be on or for the parents uh, rather than someone else that might be qualified for it. Back to the text. If the parents don't file a joint return together, but both parents claim the child as a qualifying child, the IRS will treat the child as a qualifying child of the parent with whom the child lived for the longer period of time in 2018. If the child lived with each parent for the same amount of time, the IRS will treat the child as a qualifying child of the parent who had the higher adjusted gross income, AGI, for 2018, the taxable year. And this is going to be kind of like the general default rule, right? And the general kind of default situation. If you have uh, the two parents are filing separate returns and they both claim the child as a qualifying child. Well, then, of course, now the IRS has that situation. They're going to say, well, now I have the social security number for two, uh, one child or one person. And it could be one person has their social security number on two tax returns and someone's getting benefits for that. And then the question for the IRS is, well, how are we going to deal with that? And the default will typically be 
the parent who had the longer period that they lived with. So it's typically going to default to the living, which, which one had more basically kind of control or custody in terms of the living of the child. So if the child lived with one parent more than the other parent, that would be usually typically the tiebreaker. Now, again, a lot of times, at least in the divorce um, agreement, there's kind of a 50-50 split a lot of the time. And if that's the case, if it's even between the two, then it goes to the parent with the higher adjusted gross income. And again, I'm not, that's just what the law said. That's what's in the, the rules here. Uh, if you want to know justification, I would assume the justification for that is that uh, it's assumed that the higher adjusted gross income is going to be the person that is providing more support. So if the living conditions are 50-50, then the IRS leans towards the higher adjusted gross income, thinking that that's probably where more of the actual support comes from. So that's why that maybe that would be the tiebreaker. So again, you can look to special rules for uh, other type of, of divorce type of agreements, but this is kind of like uh, the, the default tip. And again, for more information on these types of things, you could start by looking at the instructions, 2018-1040 instructions, and basically uh, get some idea, go from there, and then get some advice if you need to in those types of situations. Back to the text. If no parent can claim the child as a qualifying child, the child is treated as a qualifying child of the person who had the highest AGI for 2018. So now you're thinking of a condition. Well, what if the child doesn't meet any of the tests, right? Well, in that case, the, the, the child doesn't file their own tax return because that would, they don't have any income. So what, what happens then? If, so if, if, they don't, if they don't meet all the tests for anybody, uh, then who, who claims the child? Because obviously the, the, the Social Security number should basically go somewhere. The child's Social Security, they should be claimed somewhere. So if the tests aren't met, then the, the IRS is basically saying that someone still should be claiming the child and get, getting the benefit of claiming the child on the tax return. And they're going to say that's going to go to the parent with the highest AGI. So again, the more normal kind of circumstance would probably be that you have two people that are saying, hey, the, the child qualifies under, I've looked at the code, that's a qualifying child for two people. In that condition, well, you'd say, oh, right, well, is one of them the parent? Because usually the parent would then win out. And, and that would be the case. Well, what if both of them are qualifying child and they're both parents and they file separate tax return? Well, then it would typically be the case of the person that the child lives with the longest. Uh, that would usually be the tie-breaking rule according to the typical type of law. Okay, well, what about the situation where the qualifying, where they lived equally under the two, under the two parents and the quali kid qualified under the rules for both parents? Well, then it's usually the one with the higher AGI. And then you got the situation, well, what if, neither parent qualifies because they didn't spend half the year uh, possibly or some other condition with either parent. Maybe they spent, ha you know, a couple months with multiple different people and aunts and uncles and they've been all over the place for this year or something like that. And they don't qualify for a qualifying child for anybody. Well, then the IRS will still give the benefit to somebody for claiming the child. And that'll typically go to, by default, the, the one uh, if it comes down to the rules here, the one with the highest adjusted gross income, because again, the presumption by the IRS would be that they're the one that might be providing more support, and they probably are the one that might benefit most, depending on the conditions of the of the divorce. Now, we'll talk about and we'll do some testing about who would benefit most uh, later, because it, it becomes very strange. <laughs> like if you if you're unmarried and you're thinking about getting married, uh, what's are there benefit? I mean, is there a tax benefit, or is there a way that sometimes you can actually lose out and when you think about things like a child tax credit 
and you think about things like an earned income credit, it could be possible. And when you see a, a divorce type of situation, uh, you know, then again, the question is, well, what happens in terms of, I mean, you know, people better off or worse off for taxes and how does that come into play? And it gets kind of distorted, especially when you're in the range of someone being in the low income side, because then you have uh, those things. Well, it could get distorted on either side, but because the high income, uh, you're looking at tax bracket differences in, in the amount of money. The low income, you got weird things going on with these tax credits that could result in fairly substantial refunds like the earned income credit and the child tax credit. Back to the text. If a parent can claim the child as a qualifying child but no, parents but no parent does, so claim the child. The child is treated as a qualifying child of the person who had the highest AGI for 2018, but only if that parent's AGI is higher than the highest AGI of any parent of the child who can claim the child. Again, an unusual type of situation here. We're saying now in the case that no one claimed the child, but it's possible that the parent could have claimed the child. So then, you know, again, the IRS is going to have to say, well, they, they've got to kind of be belong to somebody in, in that case, or what would be the default position in terms of taxes or what, what would be the tax return they'd be on. And it would go to the person with the highest AGI. And that might be something, someone that's not the parent in this case, because the parents didn't claim but only if the person's AGI, the one that's not the parent, like a grandparent or something like that, is higher than the highest AGI of any parent of the child who can claim the child. So if the parents don't claim the child and they have an AGI that's higher than another person that could, could uh, qualify, then uh, it would go to the parent. But if that's not the case, they don't claim the child and someone else's uh, AGI is higher, then it, that would be the case. Now, again, unusual circumstance because that would, that would mean that no one claim the child, which is kind of unusual. Uh, back to the text. Example, your daughter meets the conditions of a qualifying child for both you and your mother. So now we got, this is the daughter of you and your mother. So you would think there'd be uh, the child being uh, your child, if this was our child, then you would think the default would typically go to the parent here over the mother, even if they were qualified. Let's go on, see what happens. Your daughter doesn't meet the conditions to be a qualified child of any other person, including her other parent. So the other parent's out of it. Under the rules, under the rules just described, you can claim your daughter as a qualified child for all the five tax benefits just listed for which you otherwise qualify. Uh, your mother can't claim any of those five tax benefits based on your daughter. However, if your mother's AGI is higher than yours, and you do not claim the daughter as a qualifying child, your daughter is the qualifying child of, the, of your mother. So again, so that, see, in that situation, of course, you would think the daughter would basically claim uh, the qualifying child, but if, that, if she doesn't, if she, and, maybe, and maybe this is strategic, maybe she would strategically, for some reason, because of tax benefits, decide not to claim the qualifying child. I don't know why, you know, I won't get into the weeds on that. But in that case, if that were the case, then how the the mother if her mother's AGIs was higher than uh then you do not claim the daughter's your daughter is a qualifying child of the mother and you can imagine a situation well would that would you ever want that to happen well maybe i mean maybe if if her if the mother's AGI is higher then maybe there would be a tax benefit and again we'll get into some scenarios when there would be or wouldn't be it's it's kind of tough to say because the lower tax side again 
the child could qualify for an earned income credit and a child tax credit or help to qualify for those things. On the high income side, it could help with a um, claiming for a head of household. So it's, it's tough to say, or there's, it gets a little confusing to know which would be better, higher income or lower income. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that with some examples next time. Again, this is just an introduction, so you want to go from here if this is, applies to you and do some research on this. For more details and examples, you can start at uh, Publication 501.